this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 78th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. Today's podcast is a two-part series with David East from Crew Fusion. Dave is going to share his story of using learning teams in the armed services in Australia, and more importantly, the shift from accident investigations to event learning. The content of this pod was so rich and powerful, it deserved to become a two-part series. And I was continued to be surprised how learning teams from the original work of Dr. Todd Conklin, um, the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, and this podcast show support people in their journey of trying something different. It is these stories that help to inspire others. As a listener of this podcast, if you would like to share your journey, please reach out to us on LinkedIn or email me at author at learningteamsinc.com. Don't think of it as an interview. Think of it as a learning team for you to share your story of learning and improving. So please sit back and enjoy this episode of The Pod with Dave East and his story of event learning using learning teams. Uh, Welcome listeners. Uh, Today we've got a very special episode. Um, I I recently did a a quick tour of Australia and I was able to visit uh, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane and um, uh, fortunately, I was uh, not lucky enough to bring COVID back to me, back to New Zealand, but I did bring back another nasty virus. So um, I had hoped to have spoken to uh, Dave East from Crew Fusion a couple of days ago, but I had to delay it because I just did not have that voice for radio. Or as Todd would say, I actually don't have a face for radio either. So I'm really pleased to be able to um, invite Dave on onto the pod today. And for him to share with us a little bit about his journey, but let's kick off, Dave. Let's uh, introduce yourself to the uh, to the listeners for us. Uh, good morning, Brent. Yeah, and thanks for having me on, mate. Yeah, my name's David East, and I uh, I've got a little business I call Crew Fusion. Um, it's a a safety and learning teams and uh, a human performance based business where I, I like to I like to help people and companies. It's great. Um, but I, I also I've I've spent twenty seven years in the uh, Royal Australian Air Force. Uh, I'm currently working as a uh, as a loadmaster on C one thirty Hercules, as well as a, a bit of a uh, bit of sort of office work on the side. Yeah, it's been it's been a fantastic career, and I cannot tell you how much I've loved it. Yeah, and do you think that your military background um, prepares you better from a risk management perspective with safety? Yes, abs- uh, short answer: yes, absolutely. Um, we in the military, we obviously we we carry a lot of risk. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, interesting sometimes dangerous things that we have to do on a regular basis so risk management is uh, is massive in the, in the military um and it's we've definitely come a long way uh it, you know i was sort of introduced to it in the early 2000s we've come a long long way since then no look that's great and and i remember um my last trip up to the states visiting todd with a bunch of the guys there um uh, two of them were ex-nuclear submarine commanders um, using some of the hot principles, and, and of course, at a nuclear submarine, you can always tell when it doesn't go right. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a fine line. Um, so, and, and I think you know the military, despite what we possibly believe, 
um, they've probably got a better handle on the human component than um, um, other industries. I agree. Uh, look, Turn the Ship Around is one of my favourite books of all time. Have you read that one? It's it's wonderful. It it's more of a leadership book, but it definitely talks about safety and the way to way to operate a highly complex machine in the safest, most efficient manner possible. So yeah, hot principles would would work so Absolutely. well for that. And it's trying to balance that all. That also, what I see also is that command control component. So, and I see that say particularly like in the maritime sector, where um, you know there's a lot of stuff around command and control, but that command and control doesn't mean that you don't have good conversations with the people that face the risk. Just because you're in command does not mean you have to be a, a difficult operator. You, you need to have empathy for your team. You need to listen to your team, and you can get a lot thing, lot of things done if you operate that way. Definitely. Absolutely, because otherwise in a really tight position, if they were to, I, I used the World War One analogy, if, if they blew the whistle going over the trenches, you'd find the crew would be the last ones to go over the trench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Especially these days. Absolutely great. Oh, well, well, share with us um, some of your journey and some of your story, Dave, around uh, around learning teams and those those hot principles that you think our listeners would get some great value from. Okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity too. Hey, look, what um, my experience comes from how how learning teams and this whole hot adventure has uh, has certainly helped me in an organisational perspective that I was involved in a couple of years ago. Um, what happens when you come across an organization and you've just got this amazing opportunity to help change it? It's, it is a fantastic thing to be able to do. Um, you know you're going to be able to help them improve if you use if you use your skills correctly, you know. Uh, you know you're going to be able to help change people, um, help change the culture within that organization. Um, and in, in the end, this actually, this little story ended, ended up working extremely well. Uh, and we got to celebrate some really amazing outcomes with the team that we worked with. It was fantastic. Um, but also, how vitally important it is to keep watering that plant. If, you're, if, you, if you go in and you, you want to help make a change to an organisation, you need to keep watering that plant because if you stop watering it, it slowly goes back to its original state. And that's one thing we, I think we have to be very, very careful of in that. Uh, when we talk about like uh, safety and human performance in organisations, yeah, look, I, I absolutely agree. Um, just just recently, um, when I was up in Brisbane um, with one of the organisations we were uh, talking with, and big shout out to Josh Bryant at Mitchell Services. Um, Josh was um, sharing his story about what they call the hundred steps, and, and it really reminded me that that you know when we when we use this language of you know workers imagined versus workers done, that that change didn't happen overnight. That change happened over all those little steps. So, so when we think about trying to um, uh, help the organisation do better, I, I think at the moment a lot of our focus is on this notion of transformation. And and what Mitchell Services shared with me was this whole notion of a hundred little steps. So just as it changed, just as that gap happened in a hundred little steps. Why can't we use little hundred little steps to actually get it back? Yeah, to what's right. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just uh, drop one set of rules on on someone and say, "Yep, yeah, fine. Now you now you're ready to go." Yeah, you're right. It takes a lot of lot of steps, 
Yeah, and I think it's what you're saying about watering the plant, that if you don't keep it hydrated, mm-hmm. if you don't let little top up every day, yeah, it's the accumulation of that absence that then becomes the issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's cool. <clears throat> this, um, so what I was able to do here, and when I say I, I will always, what I mean that, I, I worked as a team. There was, a, there was a, a few of us that we worked together. It was a, definitely a team, a team effort. But uh, uh, like I said, I'm a loadmaster. I'm, I'm air crew in the Air Force, flown and fixed planes my, my entire career, and I've loved it. We had an opportunity where one of the, the squadrons, we call within it within, at one of our Air Force bases, it was up in Amberley, uh, it's the support squadron. When I say it's a support squadron, they support uh, the aviation um, effort and the effect that has to happen for the Air Force effect, right? Um, and I say support, their air movements, they're loading planes, they're, they're loading passengers onto planes, they're building loads, um, they're, there's firefighters for the airfield, there's the people that fix the, the ground support equipment, there's chefs, there's physical training instructors, there's chaplains, so we're supporting an entire base here, right? And a lot of those guys are really the, uh, right into the aviation game. But unfortunately, um, their safety... Their safety training system wasn't uh, wasn't it wasn't where it should have been, and they had a, they'd had a few accidents over the years. Um, some of them were, you know, pretty serious. Um, and what they decided to do with that was they looked towards the aircrew side of of the aviation world. Uh, just to put put it into context, in the Air Force, we've got DFSB, the Defence Flying Safety Bureau, which uh, manages safety for the aviation side of things. And so for all the flying squadrons in the Air Force, and, oh, sorry, in the military, in the Air Force, Army and Navy. Um, at the time, we had Air Force Safety, which was the other branch that basically covered the whole gamut as well. But let's just say DFSB really concentrated their efforts on flying aircraft. And as as great a, as great a, a job as Air Force Safety was doing, um, there were some things that were being missed on the support side of things. So they put some air crew into uh, those units and the the word they use is air-mindedness. I don't know if anyone else has ever heard air-mindedness before, but in the Air Force, what that means is, you know, we understand the whole aviation system and the safety system that that rolls with it, okay? Um, Yeah, so a bunch of us loanmasters went into these support sections around Australia at different bases, which was great. Now, um, for me, that, that meant a move to Brisbane, which was good. Um, and I had a 40-minute commute to work. Now, when I got this job, I thought about it. I thought, okay, now I know I've been a, an NTS, like human factors facilitator for, you know, the last 10 or so years. So when it comes to plane crashes and maintaining aircraft in a safe manner, I've got, a, I've got that pretty well um, rounded up. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, right? I was pretty confident with that. But when it came to the ground support, I was like, no, okay, I don't really know much about ground support safety. So what I did was, of course, went to uh, my local podcast channel and searched for a local podcast. And, of course, Todd Conklin's pre-accident investigation popped up. And thank you, Todd. You changed my life. You saved my life. Because what I learned, I started at episode one, and um, it was amazing. The amount of information that I learned from that podcast, and I'm still learning today, was incredible. I he, he loves to share, and he really his 
He has such a big dedication to build community. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. I stand, I stand uh, on the shoulders of giants, you know, including guys like yourself and Sam Goodman and that. It's amazing. So, yeah, I had a uh, 40-minute commute to and from work every day to learn this stuff, and it was great. Um, now, uh, the Air Force at, 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 uh, at the time, and actually still to this time, does not in, um, embrace the hot principles. That's not, that's not because they're not effective. Of course, they're effective. But um, as, a, as an organisation, they are not written into our uh, doctrine, I guess you could say, as yet. But I hope, hopefully it's, a, it's just a matter of time because they should. Having said that, we do have a lot of guys go away to do um, courses, you know, that, those sort of training courses to get that on board because it, we all realise it's important. Um, <clears throat> so here I do, I'll, I'll rock up for day one at this new job and they say okay we've here's here's a bit of our history with with regards to safety what can you offer us and i said right um i understand that uh, the commander of this organization the, the organization is called Com- combat support group csg the commander just the year before had put out a directive he said i want everyone trained in NTS, which is non-technical skills, human factors, right? And I said, guess what? I'm an NTS facilitator. They said, awesome. Go on a program and and do, just go do what you do and make it work. I said, okay, cool. So with my with my colleagues, we went on a program we were, where we taught uh, anywhere between 20 and 30 people um, once a fortnight for two years. It was great because we had, you know, a good 1,500 to 2,000 members to train. Okay, so have at it. Let's go. Let's give this a crack. Unfortunately, with an Air Force, um, all of the the NTS courseware, which is developed by DFSB, is aviation specific. It's two pilots in the cockpit. It's maintenance fixing the plane. It's crew attendants or loadmasters in the back of an aircraft. How they talk to air traffic control, etc. Now that doesn't mean a lot to a person loading a plane or a firefighter or a guy fixing mechanical equipment. So I had to make it relatable, which was my cha- which was our challenge, right? <clears throat> um, I went to DFSB and said, hey, have you got a program? Have you got a package that I can give to these guys? They said, no, sorry, we can't help you. I said, okay. I went to my bosses in, in my world and I said, can you... Um, can you help me with an NTS package? I said, what's NTS? I said, <laughs> all right, <laughs> that's that's a green light for me to just change it and make it work. Now, uh, human factors is, you know, the, the normal human factors is <clears throat> uh, human, er- uh, human error and violation, uh, culture, stress, fatigue, team, team um, making, uh, decision making, um, situational awareness, those kind of things. And of course, they will work for these guys. But uh, as I learned more and more from from podcasts, I rolled in the hot principles and um, psychological safety and emotional intelligence and all these things that were actually going to going to help change this organisation. And that's that's where the success came from. It it, it 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 was an amazing journey. I only did the job for two years, um, but absolutely incredible results from from that. But but that was a reflection of getting people to, I suppose, think differently about that daily cultural practice that they did. 
Yes. Because we, we talk about changing culture, and I, and, I, and I struggle because, to me, culture is what you get when you put yoghurt on your cereal in the morning. That, <laughs> that, that's culture. <laughs> um, and we like to use that frame, cultural practice. So what is the cultural practice? And, and I particularly like, like, like I see in aviation, um, what I find quite interesting is that in, in, in the heat, particularly like, like ground service is a really good example. When you look at those teams... There's actually very little communication going on because they all know what they need to achieve and it's more like a dance. It's like strictly ballroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, they, and they perform this function and they've got a very tight time frame to perform that function. And there's not these normal things of pre-starts and evaluations and JSAs. People get onto it because what I appear to see is they, they, they function as a team. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because when I look at that, is that a skill or is that an art? That's a, that's a good question. It's an existential question. Yeah. Is it a skill or is it an art? It's a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah, because I don't think you, you can't train that art form. That art form can only be learnt from the cultural practice. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. Definitely. Not, not from the formal system, because the formal system will be very linear and say you'll do A, B, C, and D. <laughs> yeah. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> I, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, what, one of the first things, you know, when you, when you start this sort of position, one of the first things you want to do is you want to gather data. So that's what we did, all right? Um, <clears throat> we, we talked to the managers, and we talked to the to the workers, right? And one of the first things we realised that, we'll, and this was a, a anecdotal as well. We we realised this before we even. Uh, I, I knew this as a loadmaster when I'd uh, opened the cargo door at any airfield, and you'd talk to these movers, uh, all all wonderful people, but you knew they were restricted when it came to their their safety because they hadn't they didn't they didn't have the, the same sort of level of training that uh, that the aircrew guys did. Um, and it was important that we knew it was important that they did that they needed that. Um, and I get, I tell you what, people were considered as the weakness within their system. Unfortunately, it was very much a behavioural based safety system, which was terrible to see from our perspective because the aircrew are definitely not. We're, a, you know, uh, we're, we're on the the side of uh, the blame free side, of course. <clears throat> um, but then we were able to show the organisation that they were the enterprise's strengths. You know, the people, of course, you know, the workers were the strength. Um, they very much, very much had an inhibited culture um, where the people were seen as a problem and that they were the cause of the accident. And that, that mentality, even though people knew that was wrong, that mentality went up to some of the, uh, up, up into the leadership chain uh, too far, unfortunately, in my opinion. Um and and even though um, I had some really nice, honest conversations with some of the leaders early in the piece, and they they were completely honest. They said, "Yes, we understand. That's what it is. We understand that's the, the culture is currently like that because we're very much a can-do attitude. Um, no matter what was happening, no matter how many um, workers they had working on the day, no matter what the conditions." Their mentality was they just had to get that job done, right? And that's that's very much a military mentality. And I, I guess organisationally, some 
organizations um, uh, traditionally thought the same. I think that's definitely changing now. And we, we've definitely sort of changed that mentality within CSG along the lines, which is great. Um, but it was, it was like a gift, Brent. It was like um, the opportunity that we, that we had, it's like opening your favorite Christmas present and realizing you've got the favorite toy. It was like walking across a desert and coming across an oasis. You just know that the only way um, this safety system is going to, this is going to work. It's going to help them. And, and it was a wonderful situation to be in. And I, I, I wish a lot more people had that opportunity because you could just learn so much. It was great. Um, when, when we dropped simple concepts like error is normal and blame fixes nothing, they were like, what, what, what language are you speaking? <laughs> it was, it was wonderful, you know? Um, uh, but then we talk about, we talk about historical safety reports and we'd show them the action items, um, and the action items would normally retrain or they were blaming the supervisors and, we told them that's yeah that's not there's there's so many better ways we can we can fix this than retraining again and again and again. Oh, absolutely! I mean, there's a, yeah. what's it? We call it blame retrain, and then write a new procedure. Yeah, yeah. Every incident report has it. I I cannot tell you how many <laughs> how many times I've been on the receiving end of writing a new procedure, Brent. Absolutely, I know, I know, and and it's it's sad because training by its nature is supposed to open our mind to new ideas and concepts, but in the context of what you're saying, it was actually being used as a punishment tool. Yeah, correct. So yeah, you're absolutely. going in there, you're treating the worker in a deficit model. That worker's then going into that training. And I don't know how learning can occur when you're in a deficit model. You're, you're the reason why you're here. You know, you need to listen more this time because maybe this time it might soak in. So, um, so thanks to Todd. And, and at some point through that, uh, through that year, you started your podcast and, and I was like, and I was also able to listen to that. Um, we, we changed the, uh, any, any safety investigation. We turned that into a, we call it the learn and review. Just that simple language change helped them. Uh, and the workers were amazed at the way they were suddenly being treated. Like, what, we're not in trouble? We can't believe this. And and it, it um we we were shocked that it that the culture was still that um still still needed that that much work to get better. Um and of course then we what we did as the as the managers and as the um uh, investigators in in the uh, safety investigations. We did. We took it away from the workers, and we went straight to the management with the with the action items, right? And now that hadn't been done to the to a significant level before, and it got to a point, unfortunately, where uh, a couple of colleagues in mine were almost kicked out of managers' offices because they said, "How how dare you come up and tell us how to how to run our our system?" And we said, "This is actually where the problem starts." And if you guys, if if we can train you in this safety system and, and give you some of these principles and that will that will flow down i think we'll that's where we'll have some wins but it, yeah, it took a little bit of time unfortunately yeah um, but it's interesting because you started and this is why i find interesting because me organizations try to stop top start top down and you really from what i'm hearing you started you know bottom up we did. And you're trying yes. to create that curiosity as you're moving back up through. 
We, um, <clears throat> that is absolutely correct. You need to get, yeah, you need to, well, it's, it's like the law of diffusion, isn't it? If you can get, uh, if you can find some innovators and find some early adopters, that, that message will spread. Um, what we needed to do, we needed to um, get a whole lot of early adopters within that worker group, but we also needed to try to get a few of the managers on board. And it wasn't hard. It, um, once, once we got over that initial hurdle of, because of course in, in the military, you've also got this thing called rank. <clears throat> and uh, if they're a higher ranking officer, you've got to, obviously you've got to be extremely careful of the way you manage and, and talk to that person. And you know, you, you want to be respectful. Uh, and sometimes they don't like being being told bad news. Right. Um, and that, that, but that also exists in within cultural beliefs as well. Of course. Within caste systems, within you know uh, New, New Zealand, we have a, a you know very large um, Pacific Island community. So you have levels of hierarchy within the village that you came from. And you might be a supervisor, but if one of your work, workers, for instance, held some sort of chiefdom status. You couldn't, yeah. yeah. So, so all the, I absolutely agree that that, like everything else, you know, this whole notion of hierarchical, um, is always present in any organisation. Absolutely, um, it, it's it's one hundred percent true when you see it um, worn on their shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it stares you in the face from time to time yep. too. So yeah, the bigger yeah, the pips, you have to be careful with, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Having, having said that, like, I'm, t- I'm talking about one or two outliers here. Generally, most people were on board. And it's like, I, I, you know how they talk about, um, I don't know what the magic number is these days, but they talk about a culture might, might take seven to ten years to change, right? That, that's, you know, for a proper change, for a full change. I literally, we, we talked about this all the time. I think... I think a lot of a lot of the support agencies saw the air crew in the way we communicated with our magnificent human factors training behind us, and they were like, "Wow, what is that voodoo magic they're talking about? That's amazing." But then when they were given it, they were like, "Snap, we're, we're on board. We are straight away. We we love this stuff. Now we know what you guys have been, what Kool Aid you've been drinking for the like for the for the, over the years, and we'll have some as well." I think once again, the it, I think, and what I'm hearing, Dave, it's the language you use that helps align people. Like in other words, if it makes sense to them, they're on the journey straight away. Absolutely, yep. Um, and and I and I like the language that you're using because what you've really done is that you've aligned the language that is used by the people on that work every day to those principles and people have made that connection. And so many times when we talk about these projects around transformation, we don't align them to people. We align them to things like productivity, um, quality, you know, output. Yeah. I think, I think in order to make it work, Brent, you really need to understand, um, you need to understand the workers you need to understand the pressures they're under. You need to understand what makes them, um, what makes a good day for them, what makes a bad day for them, and then you can you can definitely make some serious inroads to to being effective and helping them. If you don't understand who you, what, if you don't understand, <clears throat> excuse me, 
<clears throat> if you don't understand the why and the so what of what you're doing, you, you're, you're almost wasting your time. But and and it's great because as as a loadmaster and as the loadmasters that went out to these units, we definitely had a very good understanding of of um, especially the air movements people because we worked with them regularly. And it didn't take long to flow out to the other agencies. Yeah, it was great. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Welcome to Safety Differently Merchandise, the premium sponsor for the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. Our curated lines of inspirational clothing, headwear, cups, stationery and more, at Safety Differently Merchandise, is befitting of your Safety Differently journey. I am Arthur Taylor, Chief Designer. I have spent decades on Savile Row, and honored to bring my talents, for all fine purveyors and devotees of. Hop. Learning Teams. Safety Differently. Safety 2. And the New View. Please visit the store and purchase our fine goods at safetydifferentlymerch.com. And now, back to the show.